Hello there, this is Mark Bauerline with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. Stephen Blackwood joins us today to talk about a mighty interesting project in higher education. I think it's exactly uh, one of the one of the things we need, and it's filling a niche that is oh so ready to be filled. Uh, he is the president of Ralston College, and what is going on there is the subject of today's discussion. Welcome, welcome, Stephen. I, I call you by first name. We've known each other for for several years. Hey, it's a real pleasure to be here, Mark. Thank you. All right. Well, and I should say at the start that, that I've, I've, I've come in and j- join you here now and then with, with the planning and the development of, of Ralston College. It's been a few years, though, since, since, since then. So you're going you're gonna to fill me in on what's going on at that institution uh, as, well as, uh, as well as everyone else. Let me say, in, it's summer 2022. Uh, what, what is Ralston College? What is it? Well, thanks, Mark. Uh, fundamentally, Ralston College is the new beginning in higher education, born of the insight that that being anti-anything or being merely critical is ultimately inert, that one needs to build again, that the only things that can be built are built from a out of a positive vision. And so our insight is really fundamentally that what higher education needs is not more criticism, but superior alternatives that can do better what we say is not being done adequately now. And that, so is, that is the fundamental insight uh, out of which Ralston College emerged. Ralston College is, the, it is a new college. It is authorized by the state of Georgia to grant degrees. We are launching our first degree this summer. I'll tell you a bit about that uh, in a second. But in the, in the global picture, Ralston College is an effort to reinvent and revive the university. Uh, with in-person degrees, uh, like the one I'm going to tell you about, but also to do something that might not look exactly like the university uh, historically, uh, to offer things to a broad online and in-person audience, but of a non-degree form. So you might say our vocation is is a double one, both to do things that look like traditional degrees on the one hand for people who want sustained study over months or years, but also on the other hand, to recognize that there are literally millions of people seeking to make better sense of their lives, asking fundamental human questions, who want to avail themselves of these infinitely great resources of the past. And to those people, we say, you are welcome at Ralston College, both through our online initiatives, courses, lectures, uh, all those wonderful things you can do by means of uh, modern technologies, but also through in-person events like our Savannah Symposium. You know, why should you need to register as a student at a university in order to gather with others, either in person or online, uh, to ask great questions and to try and make sense of life through 
these uh, monuments of cultures of the past. So uh, uh, in, a, in a snapshot, we've got these, these, the, this double vocation. I mentioned the degree program that our first degree program is launching this summer. It is a one-year master's in the humanities. It is fully funded. Uh, we'll be paying the tuition and the uh, cost of accommodation and any other costs that we, we must to attract the very best students. This year around, we wanted, uh, we, we were absolutely determined that cost would not be a barrier to any of the students we want to admit. And we were fortunate to have the philanthropic support to make that possible. It's a one-year master's in the humanities. It will start, I know, somewhat excitingly and unconventionally with two full months of immersive study of Greek in Greece, both modern and ancient Greece on the island of Samos, and then hmm. on the Peloponnese in Naflio with uh, breaking up this very intensive program with uh, visits to great sites around the Aegean, uh, of, of principally of, of ancient and indeed also of medieval Greece. Then there'll be three eight-week terms in Savannah, and those will really be very intensive on the reading and writing front, gathering in uh, small seminars to uh, trace the theme. Uh, the theme of the year it will move chronologically from ancient times through to the present to trace the theme of the development of the idea of the human self. What are we as human beings? What is our nature? What is our end? What are we here for? How do we make sense of what we are. So that is a kind of synopsis of that program. Uh, it's a one-year master's program. We expect that will lead to an expansion of those one-year master's degree offerings, but also over the next couple of years, we intend to launch an undergraduate program on a similar model, beginning with intensive language study and then intensive in-person study here in Savannah uh, throughout the rest of the year. Would you accept the label, a Western Civ, Great Books curriculum? I would certainly accept, broadly speaking, uh, Western civilization as where in this program, this focus principally lies. Although, as you know, as well as I do, Mark, the the West is an expansive phenomenon. Uh, the the Greeks, for example, are, are very important to, to the uh, culture of the Middle Ages in uh, Jewish, Christian, and Muslim uh, traditions. And so the, the influence of what we might call the West is very broad. But yes, broadly speaking, this is uh, a program tracing the development of Western civilization. Uh, as to great books, it, it, that's a moniker that I never use to describe Ralston College uh, for reasons I'll, I'll just quickly say, uh, though, of course, many great books, uh, indisputably great books, will be read by these students. That's a core task, I would say, of any university. I think that uh, the moniker great books uh, was a mistake for those who took it on, because it fetishized what really should be the fundamental activity, the paradigmatic activity of the university, which is reading and thinking together with others. It made that a kind of niche thing that a few tiny places did and maybe did very well, but otherwise the real universities weren't really great books colleges. And what we're looking to do is to reclaim the, the mantle of the university around these paradigmatic activities. Of course, there will be great books read, but we are looking furthermore to expand our programs in ways that would not be recognizable uh, within uh, that uh, fairly narrow uh, uh, vocabulary sort of of the great books uh, into a range of other degrees and programs, which, which we are authorized to do by our uh, founding 
uh, kind of incorporating uh, documents here in Georgia. So we see ourselves as the reinvention of the university broadly conceived is what I'm saying, not limited to, but of course, absolutely taking up uh, the great books of the past. Let me ask you a, a personal question for a moment. I mean, you've spent years of energy dedication to this project. What was it in your own youth or perhaps in your college experience that inclined you to building this kind of institution? That's a great question, Mark. Uh, let me start first just to say a couple of words about what a what a gift it was for me to grow up in the family I grew up in. I have two very loving parents. I'm the eldest of a of a big family, nine younger siblings, seven brothers, two sisters. Grew up on a on a in a rural, uh, really on a farm in uh, in Prince Edward Island, Canada. Having been born in the West, grew up in the East, and you know I I had the privilege of a, of a lot of love in my life, uh, but also of a lot of responsibility for my younger siblings. I think that's where my my vocation as a as a teacher was born. But I also had a lot of time in nature, in quiet, uh, facing, you know, there's the big, big snowstorms in that part of the country and very quiet uh, summer evenings. And, and so there's a kind of sense when you go up in the country, I think you're face to face with, uh, well, you might say the infinite, you know, what, what, how do I relate to what is out there? And uh, had early, early studies in music that were very important, uh, grew up uh, in a Christian family. I, I read, had read the Bible through three times. Uh, by the time I finished high school, and one might say one one likes about the Christian religion, but the the Bible is indisputably a very very great text, and that was formative uh, as I began to shape the questions. Which then later in my undergraduate and graduate degrees, I studied the classics and in particular uh, ancient medieval philosophy and theology. So I, I you might say that that the, those undergraduate and graduate degrees were really about giving a a conceptual articulation to things that I knew implicitly when I was uh, had learned implicitly in my in my in my youth. Uh, in fact, I don't think you can really understand things consciously that you don't already understand implicitly uh, through experience or love or suffering or whatever. Your 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 ideological articulation or your your conceptual articulation of those things is subsequent to understanding them in another way. Um, but you know, to come to Ralston College specifically, uh, my colleagues and I. Both had had quite close range experience of institutions that really had lost their way. And what was depressing about that, Mark, was not just that they had lost their way, but but given their mechanisms of government, how hard it would be for the, for those ships to be righted again. And we came to the, admittedly, uh, it might have been naive in the moment that we came to this insight, but we, I still think it is true. And that insight was that it would be easier, faster, and cheaper though it turns out, turn, turned out to be not easy or fast or cheap to build new institutions uh, rather than it would be to reform existent ones. And I think we have to be absolutely brutally frank with ourselves that small c conservatives have been trying to reform institutions from the inside for the last 70 years or so. God and Man at Yale, written by William F. Buckley, as you know, in 1950. One, I think that was. Um, that's just one example. Uh, Closing the American Mind, 1985, by Alan Bloom, perhaps the most famous uh, uh, articulation of a, of a critique or diagnosis, a protreptic of higher education in the United States. And in those 70 years, uh, the reform from within, though it's done brilliant work, and it's absolutely a, a, something that needs to be supported uh, uh, philanthropically and otherwise, uh, because it does such important work for students at the same time uh, relative to changing the culture 
on these institutions, it has been, broadly speaking, a manifest failure. We must absolutely build new institutions if we want uh, our civilization to continue. You know, back in the early 2000s, many conservatives and their donors set about with the, the plan of building little centers on campus as part of part of the university. And they got them started in, in many places. But I, I have to agree with you that even as those centers in their tiny little niche enclaves within the larger campus uh, continued and teach some students, I, I, I started one at, at Emory and it evolved into uh, into an even even bigger freshman program, but they didn't alter the ideological climate of the campus as a whole one single bit, did they? I, I regret to say, I, I mean, perhaps there are exceptions someone can point to, and, and again, I want to be very clear that I'm not suggesting these these those activities are not worthwhile or shouldn't be supported. Right, they absolutely right, must be. Right. It would be pure nihilism to abandon these great uh, these great institutions. And yet I think it, the simple fact of the matter is, Mark, you could have $20 billion and you uh, to give to a single institution and you would not be able to meaningfully uh, gain control of the culture, the governance, the curriculum, or the faculty at any major institution in the country. Now, and perhaps you shouldn't be able to. They're not for sale in the first place. I'm not suggesting they should be for sale. But the point is that people have wildly overestimated the degree to which they can influence these things, either from the outside or the inside. And I think we also have to be frank with ourselves that uh, had we started new institutions of higher education, dozens of them, uh, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, we would be living in a different country right now. But we didn't. And we've got the existential crises facing us now that we do because we failed to take action when we could have. I agree. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you are looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. Back to Ralston. Okay, the the positive here. Uh, What... Well, well uh, you've got a one-year master's program. You are accredited. Uh, you've gone through the accreditation process. You're all set. We're, we are not accredited. You cannot be accredited before you open. We are authorized by the state to award the degree. And okay. so we have our degree granting powers, which as you know, Mark, that's all any university had for almost all of history until like yesterday when uh, accreditors uh, became the, the stewards of federal money, essentially was uh, what happened. And uh, so we are not yet accredited, though we will be accredited. We'll be required to be uh, accredited by the state. And so we will get that in due course. We're not uh, concerned about it. Uh, but it's one of the reasons we started with the master's degree, because we 
we are aware that uh, if it were an undergraduate, students may be concerned about it not being accredited relative to going into law school or, uh, you know, master's degree or something. But in our case, because it's a master's degree, students already have uh, degrees from accredited colleges. So that will, we think, not be an obstacle. So yes, we are uh, authorized by the state to award the degree. It'll be a real degree. But no, in this first instance, it will not be accredited. But you had, a, I think you were leading to another question there. Uh well, on one hand, you know, if only one could say the hell with the accreditors, uh, I, I mean, with their, you know, adding, uh, waiting for the accreditors to add uh, or boost their DEI uh, elements in, in, in the process. The, the, those are organizations that have been captured to, by, by the left. But uh, a student, so, so they get the master's. It's a one-year program. Um, where, where, will, where will the students generally come from, and where do you think they'll be going? Well, the students have come from a very wide range. We have had, just to speak about the American audience, we've had nearly, actually, we've had over a thousand people now initiate applications for oh. 24 spots. So it's a very competitive class. Uh, they have come from 48 states uh, of the 50 so far, so a very wide range geographically. We also have uh, many international students who have uh, applied, unfortunately, this year until we're, uh, there's another bit of insider baseball. You can't uh, issue uh, student visas until you've been up and running for a couple of years. Uh, the, the government would just won't allow it. So we have a lot of demand from England and and uh, Canada and elsewhere, the UK, but we're not able to admit those students yet. But it, relative to the applicant pool that I've described, that sort of thousand students, they are everywhere from, uh, from uh, garage mechanics to PhDs in mathematics from Caltech. Uh, we've had many, many people apply uh, from, of course, the bulk of the, the applications are people in their 20s, but we've had a, a large number of people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, and even 60s apply for this program. Uh, everything from the, uh, uh, we've had ballerinas and musicians, poets, we've had uh, uh, computer programmers at a very high level, we've had um, musicians and writers We've had mathematicians, chemists, biologists. Uh, what you know? What unites this this incoming? Well, let's call them a, this this applicant pool this year is a sense of the stakes of our historic moment, the absolute urgency that we get down to rebuilding, but also a profound love of the enduring things of value. The transcendent, transcendent, the transcendental uh, realities of truth, of beauty, and so on, and a desire to give their lives. These young people really have already decided to consecrate themselves to the pursuit of those things, to the building of things around those, and to therefore sharing them with others. It is. It has been one of the great joys of my life, one of the great privileges of my life to read these hundreds of essays from young people who could not possibly be greater testaments to the hope that we should have for our culture even amidst much darkness. Uh, Stephen, given those numbers, you've got to expand. 
How, how do you, I mean, I mean, you're going to have to turn away many, many deserving people. I mean, your donors must be, must be very happy to see these, these figures. It's, uh, we're going to some very difficult choices to make. It's uh, inevitable. Uh, I wish that weren't the case in a way because one wants to give a place to every deserving student. We uh, just can't build quite that fast. Although, yes, we are planning to expand and to, we hope, provide uh, both degree and non-degree options for any deserving person uh, in some form. Uh, I'll also say that, you know, Mark, we, of course, we predicted this. I mean, we, we wouldn't have taken a decade of our lives to get this college off the ground if we didn't think the fundamentals were, were justified the, the risk and difficulty of the venture. But I also want to say, how could it be otherwise? I mean, how, you know, what do we think? I mean, unless you we've already surrendered to the idea that reality is a construct, it surely has to be the case that the fundamentals are no different now than they ever have been. And that, that if, I mean, it's like, if it, is as, it is as though our grocery stores had no food on the shelves, nothing but junk. And we were to say, well, what if we were to just, you know, we could, we could get our hands on enough really good food that we could put it in a shop and, and, you know, and at a fair price, let people come in and, and buy it and get something to eat. You know, you'd say, well, the fundamentals are that there could be a lot of hungry people out there because of what's currently on offer. And I really think that, uh, the, the, the harvest is, the harvest is ready. Uh, you know, at a, at a certain, you know, I used to think Mark that the, uh, the primary argument I should make for founding new institutions was one of systemic disruption, right? That, uh, you know, higher education is upstream of culture, of politics, of art and, uh, media and all those things. Of course, I think that's true. And, and, you know, therefore we need to start new inst institutions that can have, uh, can, can uh, surpass or at least compete with this deleterious upstream influence that uh, many institutions of higher education and these just mind-numbing nihilistic ideologies have there. So I used to think it was principally a disruptive argument, a systemic disruption argument. I still stand by that 100%, but I've come to think, Mark, that there is a much more urgent, more blazing moral argument that needs to be made. And that is, that is very simple. There are millions of starving, intellectually starving young people out there. And there is only one question for us. Will we give them something to eat or not? Will we give them something to eat or will we turn them away and say, oh, you know what, your soul, your future, your life, it doesn't matter. Go to the stores that don't have any food. We have nothing for you. And I think that uh, what I see in this applicant pool is profound. Uh, longing that more than justifies. I mean, what are we going to say, Mark? I mean, what, what, what answer can we as a culture give if we will not feed those who come to us explicitly asking for the forms of life and understanding for which they are made and which we have in mighty storehouses waiting to share with them. I just don't, I really, I just, sometimes I think, well, you know, what are conservatives thinking? Or are they thinking? If you don't, if you, if you can't feed those who come to you, um, I just think, you know, you ought not to be the ones to whom people turn. Did I see that Jordan Peterson has come on, on board with the project in some way? Yes, that's right. Uh, Dr. Peterson is our chancellor. I am thrilled to say it's a great honor to have him, 
uh, on board and as our, as you might say, the the primary ceremonial and symbolic uh, leader of the institution. He's also been rolling up his sleeves and giving us a great deal of assistance as we build the this, let's call it startup, uh, into a serious operation over time. How do you secure that? He's He's kind of busy. Dr. Peterson is... Of course, uh, enormously in demand, uh, justly so. Uh, he and I have been been sort of becoming friends over the last uh, five years, I guess, or so. Uh, I reached out to him uh, years ago uh, when he was not as uh, well known as he is now, and we we met for for a glass of a uh, cup of tea or something in Toronto, I think, and then uh, uh, began. You know, began there a a friend. You know, it was a incipient friendship that we've we've deepened over the years. We've done quite a bit of work together over the last three years, especially both in the UK and Cambridge and Oxford and London, and here in New York and in Savannah uh, and elsewhere. So we've spent quite a lot of time together, and uh, it's uh, of course he has a, a profound uh, dedication to teaching and to sharing uh, the wisdom of of the past. In a in a free, self developing way with uh, with those yearning for it in the present, and has done that, of course, in very brilliant ways online. But appears to me also to uh, clearly also to understand uh, clearly the role of higher educational institutions in the preservation of a culture of human flourishing. And uh, so we are very honored to have his his uh, very powerful and profound support as we build this institution out. Yeah. I admire him a lot. Um, do you, have you followed this remarkable growth of classical education in elementary and secondary schooling in the United States? You've seen that? Yes, I have. I've got some friends in that space. It's uh, wonderful. That's going to make, we're, we're going to see those kids coming out and you're going to start getting hit by more applications, I think, from those from those people. Now, that push is coming from the parents. These are the parents who pulled their kids out of the public schools or out of the private schools that have gone simply too woke, even for liberal, you know, moderate liberal parents. Uh, have you have you been contacted by parents for uh, for your younger applicants? Have they been uh, part of this process? We uh, we we don't uh, we don't engage with uh, parents about applicants, but we do often hear from parents of prospective students, and that, of course, is a is a wonderful thing because though on the one hand, you know, one wants to resist a culture of kind of helicoptering, what one really sees in these parents is just concern. They are just looking to find a place that they think will be worthy of this young soul they have had they have the duty to help guide in life and uh, the classical i think that is directly related of course to the to the resurgence of classical uh, educational alternatives at the 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 K to 12 level and i think it's important to say that the K to 12 level has been much easier to to innovate within right in a way to start a, a school a primary secondary school all you need is a maybe a dozen or a couple of dozen uh, parents who have, uh, you know, one or two kids each 
who can kind of pool the resources and hire a teacher. And, you know, there you go. I mean, I know it's a little more complicated than that, but it's happened thousands and thousands of times across the country. And that's just a it's just a it's a, it's a damn good and wonderful thing. It is, of course, an index of the frustration people have with the 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 status quo. But it, it should also it should hearten us that that I mean, I, I like you, I know some of the kids who've gone to these schools. They are formidable forces. I mean, it, it might be tempting to think, oh, well, this is kind of a I don't know, a you know, a, a kind of a backward looking, you know, kind of boring, you know, these kids, these kids I have met are dynamite. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have really had a serious educational formation. And I'd say, watch out to the uh, cultural nihilists because they're, uh, they're, they're coming. Why did you choose Savannah as a base? That, that was, you, you told me a while back, that was just because you, you read Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, correct? It, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't directly related to that <laughs> novel. <laughs> I, uh, that, that, that the, you got me on that one, Mark. Uh, um, no, it wasn't uh, because of that. Although that, that novel did play a huge role in putting Savannah on the map as a tourist destination in the last 30 years. Uh, but, uh, actually because we, we wanted to put the college in a very beautiful city in the United States. We, um, Savannah, as you may know, is one of the, the three or four, I would say, easily three or four most beautiful cities uh, in the United States, both uh, both natural beauty and architectural historic beauty. It is a sublimely beautiful location. And, you know, we think that, you know, when you really think about what a human being is, you know, human beings exist in time and space. And so it's not just the ideas, right? Uh, it makes a difference where you study. Uh, are you in a, a cinder block fluorescent lit box? Mm-hmm. Or are you sitting in a beautiful square, uh, uh, looking at uh, the sun, you know, uh, uh, pass through the the Spanish moss, uh, you know, uh, reflecting on the the windows? I mean, it it's uh, it makes all the difference. And so, uh, you know, as incarnate creatures, uh, we think that uh, the environment in which students are studying should somehow embody the ideas and ideals that you, that they are encountering. Uh, I should also say about Savannah that it, uh, when you're st- founding a new college, you have to think really hard about recruitment and sustainability, Mark. And uh, we we had noticed that the the Savannah College of Art and Design, which is is uh, kind of a technical art college, which started in 1980, is now the largest art college in the world, and it's here in wow. Savannah. And and what that uh, showed us is that Savannah is a very desirable place from the point of view of recruitment for students, for faculty, for administrators, and so on. And so it was important to us that uh, we we put the college in a place that would actually be, uh, appear to be at least, attractive from the point of view of recruitment. So those yeah. are the two primary reasons that we chose uh, Savannah. Of course, it's also important that there's no uh, competition here in Savannah. There is no, you know, private liberal arts college in the downtown historic core of the city. Not that we don't think we can hold our own perfectly well, but uh, it's uh, it's an interesting fact that there's kind of blue uh, water here uh, from that point of view. Amazing though that is, given what a a stunning uh, city this is. And if I may say so, I think that perhaps. Uh, it, though I've, as you know, grew up in Canada, it might be the case that there is more of a receptivity to such a project 
here uh, in uh, in Georgia than there might be in other places. Uh, but I'll leave it to your listeners to judge that for themselves. Uh, last quick question. How do readers, listeners, uh, get to Ralston on the web? What's the site? Yep, you can uh, you can put it in any search engine, Ralston College. That's R-A-L-S-T-O-N, Ralston College. You can also come to our website at www.ralston.ac for academic. Uh, you can also, uh, uh, we'd, be, we'd be thrilled to have your listeners sign up for a newsletter so they'll be notified of, of events like our upcoming lecture with Marie Dowda of Oriel College on Baudelaire. Uh, uh, about our online courses with people like Tony Daniels, Theodore Dalrymple on Johnson's uh, Rasselas, uh, Jay Perini coming up here on uh, on Robert Frost. We've also got uh, uh, ambitions for our Savannah Symposium here in Savannah. You can go to savannahsymposium.com. Uh, that website will be updated with our new dates in the spring of 2022, 2023 rather. And of course, uh, keep abreast of our other degree programs as they launch and as this program, uh, which we're about to close applications to, uh, reopens uh, for 2023 uh, school year in just a few months. So come to our website, get in touch. We are really looking to welcome any and all who wish to seek the truth with courage. (laughs) Stephen Blackwood, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mark, for having me. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.